I'm not a big traveler. I don't like to travel that much. I don't, not afraid to fly. I, I like flying. I just don't like going through airports and being stuck up against so many people. But one thing I do enjoy when I travel, particularly in airports, even on an airplane, is watching people. I think a lot of you like to watch people because they can, they can be interesting sometimes. And when I watch people, I think I'm observing things. Certain things will go through my mind that it's probably not best to share with you all. But I like to see who will look back at me, make eye contact. I like to see who looks away or maybe they're in deep in thought or they're, they're talking on the phone. I, my wife gets a little bit upset with me when I do this, but I, I like to try to figure out who I can say hi to and see if they'll respond. It kind of irritates my wife, but it's part of the, the way I watch people. But even when I say hi, most of my watching is passive, right? It's idle observations, and even those observations, I doubt they're very accurate. Our passage this morning, if you've been with us uh, any time now, you know that we've been going through Exodus and we've actually been talking in some form or fashion about the last plague, the last three weeks or so, uh, the 10th plague. We've spent a lot of time on these ideas. In fact, as we read the text this morning from Exodus 12, there is not a whole bunch of new information for us with the exception of one thing. It's the idea of God watching us. It's his watching that this passage closes with. And what's interesting about God's watching, it's, it's different than my watching, it's different than your watching. God is not passive when he watches. He's doing all sorts of things. And in fact, in this passage, his watching is, is actually completing something that he planned long ago. So God's watching is active, it's present, he's delivering, he's, he's providing, he's protecting. That's what it means for God to watch. Psalm 121 says, God never sleeps. He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Proverbs 15.3 the front of your bulletin says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. God's watching, it's almost another way of us understanding how God is working. But before we read our passage, the, the dilemma for us, I think, is, is this. Sometimes we don't always believe that God is watching. It's easy to forget we have a hard time believing that God can actively watch and work all over the universe, bringing about completely and exactly what he desires. And of course, there are many in the world, there are probably many in this room this morning, friends, family, visitors, maybe even some longtime members, but they don't really believe it at all, right? Right? It's hard enough for believers or Christians to, to really grab hold of the fact that God is watching us even now, 
let alone people who simply don't think God exists or are not, is not sure that, that God is real. We're going to see in this passage that God is at work, that God is watching. And even during the times that we have difficulties in believing it's true, or maybe we just doubt it, you will see this morning that the problem has never been with God. The Bible is very, very clear. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. And we're going to see how that's worked out in this passage. Let me ask you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 12. I'm going to read 29, or I'm sorry, Exodus 12, verses 29 through 42. If you don't have your Bibles, it's printed for you in your bulletins there. Let's read this passage. And um, let me... I thought about this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Let's, let, me, let me pray first instead of after I read the passage. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you. We thank you for the things that you have already seen here this morning that has brought you honor and glory. We thank you that you are present with us. And we now ask, as we open up your word, as I read this word, as we listen in our hearts, as we... As we hear the sermon, Father, would you work powerfully among us? Would you encourage those that need to be encouraged? Would you challenge those of us who need to be challenged? Would you meet us? And would we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that understands? We ask this by your grace and your mercy in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read this word, beginning in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you, the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, be gone, and bless me also. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry, for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. They could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching 
by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is God's word. Would he add his blessings to it even as we we think about the things that are in this passage. And I want us to see really three things. I want us to see how God watches over the different parties in this passage. We've got three, three things. God is watching over the Egyptians and Pharaoh. God is watching over the Israelites, his people. And then there is something that you may not expect. God is watching over the world. I want us to see how people respond to God's watching. Like I said before, this is the 10th. This is the final plague. We've come a long way in our study of Exodus already. Study of Moses. Study of Moses is God. We began in Exodus 1 where we saw God's people crying out because they were in slavery. Exodus 4, after Moses had been called by God, Moses told by God to go to Pharaoh, and he said something to him. Pharaoh, the one who is setting himself up as a real God, believed he was divine. Moses gives notice to Pharaoh. Really, God gives notice to Pharaoh through Moses. And he basically says this, Israel is God's firstborn son. And he told Pharaoh, if you do not let God's firstborn go, that God would take his own firstborn. This idea of firstborn is important, um, not only in Exodus, not only in the life of Moses, but throughout the Bible. It's not that those born later are unimportant. I want to make sure as I was talking to a young child that was not the firstborn in he asked me, does it mean that I don't matter? No, it does not mean that the secondborn or the thirdborn or the fourthborn don't matter. In fact, the list of otherborn children are very important in the Bible. Abel was the secondborn. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph was way down the line. David, Gideon, Solomon, just to name a few. But still, even as Matt said last week, the firstborn is important. Every firstborn had to be given over to God. It was a reminder that they were not their own, that God is the creator of life. It was also a reminder that the firstborn represented something bigger than themselves. They were there to ensure the existence of the future. In fact, you could say it like this. If Israel is God's firstborn son then the reason that they are to be given over to God is so that God can use them to bless the rest of the world. That's why the firstborn is important here. They they are present for something bigger than themselves. In this sense, all of life is dependent on what happens to God's firstborn. It ultimately points us, for those of us who understand what God has done in Christ points us to God's firstborn son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all of life flows, both physical and spiritual. So God is saying, my people, they are my firstborn. And he's saying to Pharaoh, if you will not let my firstborn go, I will free them by taking your firstborn. Look at verse 29. 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a household there where someone was not dead. God's firstborn had been in slavery, oppressed 400 years. They had been crying out. The same word used here in, uh, in Exodus 12 with what the Egyptians are doing. They are wailing. And everyone had seen the other nine plagues. Remember, there were nine plagues prior to this. All proof that God wanted his people free. All proof that God was watching. They'd even been warned of this 10th plague. If you remember the sermon back on Exodus 11, they had warned that God would do this if Pharaoh didn't let God's people go. They'd seen the other nine plagues. I don't know whether they didn't believe it. I know some of them did. In Exodus 9, we see a group of Egyptians trusting in the Lord and bringing their animals in so they don't get destroyed by the hail. But most of them are not paying attention. Maybe they were distracted. Maybe they thought it might happen, but they weren't sure. But either way, not enough to respond in the way that God had said. And anyone who didn't see the signs and wonders, who didn't watch for them, they lost their firstborn. Didn't matter how smart they were. It didn't matter how powerful they were, how rich or poor, slave or free. If they did not respond, if they did not acknowledge that the God of the Bible is Lord, death came. And I do have to, to say, that's hard. In fact, I think there's a temptation for us to say that doesn't seem very fair. I don't know where you are with that, particularly at this moment, but I don't think that's the biblical picture. You have to realize God has been doing things over the course of four or five chapters, even longer, doing things to get their attention now for some time. Those were nine pretty intense signs that nobody could miss. And you realize he didn't have to give those nine signs. He didn't have to give warning for the 10th sign. He was giving people opportunity all the time to see that God is Lord and not Pharaoh. That's that's the first idea if you think that if you have a little bit of trouble with that, and I understand, but there's a bigger point. If we expect or if we think that we deserve for God to act in a certain way, then we don't understand the God who's revealing himself in this Bible. And I know this is difficult in a world where our feelings reign supreme. But this is God. This is the world that he created. This is a people that he created for a particular purpose. 
And he has every right to do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. You know, we are all born. Well, let me say it like this. I just got back Friday night. Josie and I went to Chattanooga to visit my oldest son and his wife and our first grandchild, two years old. And I, I didn't believe it when everybody told me grandchildren are great. I thought, no big deal. But it's a big deal. So I have this beautiful little two-year-old grandchild that's, that's smarter than her parents, that's prettier than the whole world, and, I just, and she loves me. She flat out loves me. But at the same time, that sweet little beautiful little grandchild is the most selfish human being I've ever seen in my life. My, my, my. Right? We're all born with this great suck of self, seeking our own way, our own glory, selfish and proud to the core. The Bible says we are suppressing the truth because we want to be at the center of the world. And but for God's grace, we have no hope. We don't deserve anything. Every breath we take today is purely a gift of God. And we probably haven't thought about it twice. God is revealing himself in the world through his word all the time. This is Pharaoh's problem. He saw all these same things, but he did not respond in a saving way. Rather, he shook, it, shook his fist at God. I mean, even the request for a blessing here. He's acting like he's still in charge, and he's been thoroughly defeated. It's presumptuous. It's self-centered. He refuses to acknowledge defeat. He goes, hey, he calls Moses and Aaron. He says, up, go, leave, serve the Lord as you have said, be gone, and then bless me too. He's acting like he's telling them what to do, commanding a blessing. The one who at the beginning of the story, who, who sarcastically said, who is Yahweh? The one who oppressed, enslaved, and even murders children. The high and most mighty human being on the face of the earth at the time. He's not seeking forgiveness. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. And there's really nothing sadder than this at the end of a life. Because there is no real life. Listen, there is no life without repentance and forgiveness. Just a hard proud heart and God the whole time is at work he's watching and if we're not looking if we're not responding there will be a time where every knee will bow where every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for some that will be a great day for some that will be a day of rejoicing and for others it will be a day of profound loss and regret because God is always at work accomplishing his purposes. He is always watching. We are not alone. I know we may feel alone sometimes, but we are not alone. God is at work. He's working with the Egyptians. Secondly, he's watching over the Israelites as well. And if you think this is easy for them, I got another thing coming. 
this watching is different than what we would think. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out in haste. It's not just Pharaoh that's ready to get rid of them. All the Egyptians, they place, please hurry up and go. Verse 39 says they were thrust out. In other words, this is what God is doing here. God says, I'm not going to let you have time to think about this. I have just delivered you. I'm not going to give you time to make some great plan about how you can do this in the way that you want. You just need to, to get it, talk to the Egyptians, and go. I have set you free. We'll talk about the favor that the Egyptians give them, but, but they're being thrust out. They're being thrown out. And the reason I think it's important, and I'm making this up, you know, but I've, in my mind, I've imagined Josie and I, even now at our age, being an Israelite, and we, you know, our children, our children made it, we put the, our firstborn made it, we put the blood over our doorpost, and we were hanging out at the house, we were wondering what was going to happen, and we hear all this wailing, and the wailing finally calms down, and Josie and I, I, I grab her, I sit her down at the kitchen table, I say, okay, honey, we're free. I wiped my head a little bit because it was pretty intense. I'll say, honey, let, let's sit down and let's make a plan so, so we, can, we can move out of here in an orderly way. I like order, right? Let's make a plan. I'll, I'll perk us some coffee. It's a little bit late, but let's figure out how we're going to do this. And then Josie would probably say, okay, and by the way, honey, I... I know I've complained about this house a little bit. It's a little bit smaller than I'd like, but, you know, we've been here a long time, and I kind of like it. She'd say that to me. I have no doubt. You think we could stay a few days so I can think about what I need to bring, make sure I don't forget something that, that I might want later on? In fact, in fact, since we're now free, do we really have to actually leave? This is our home. This is where we raised our kids. I might be wrong and I might get in trouble when I go home. That might not happen at my house, but I think that's what happened at my house. Because leaving what we know is always harder than we think. Even when we know it's good, even when we know it's right, going and not knowing where we're going is never easy, even when it's miraculous. Remember last week with the unleavened bread that Matt, Matt preached on? The unleavened bread pointed to a clean break with the past, a new way of life. God is saying, I have delivered you. Now leave, start new. Don't look back. The implications for that are profound for us. Because being delivered, being saved is a continuous leaving our old way of life and entering into a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of speaking, a new way of acting, a new way of loving because God first set his love on us. God's work is so powerful. He makes this once enslaved people. You know what he makes them? He makes them rich. He will give them everything they need. Look at, verse, look at verse 35. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry, for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have whatever they asked for. They plundered the Egyptians. This is not stealing. 
This is God's miraculous provision as he watched over his people. God's watching includes giving us everything we need to do what he wants us to do. They left wealthy and they didn't bring anything with them. They got the unleavened bread, packed it on their backs, got their staffs, and they were gone. And they asked the Egyptians, hey, this is what I need. And God gives it to them. They're starting fresh. They're starting new. Somebody said it like this. Historically, probably, they left probably more wealthy than any other people group that ever been enslaved. God gave them exactly what they needed, and they didn't have to bring anything from the past with them. But God also knew them well enough that he had to push them out. You know what they do with their money, by the way? This is an interesting side note. In Exodus 25, they took all the riches of Egypt, the plunder of Egypt, the things that they gave them, and they used the wealth to build the temple or build the tabernacle so they could worship God. Had to be pleasing to God. In fact, we know it was pleasing to God because of the, the way Exodus ends. You know what else they did? Seven chapters later, they build a golden calf. God gives us all sorts of things that we don't deserve, and sometimes we use them for things that God is pleased with, and there are other times we abuse those same gifts. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, Recently, everybody's, or not everybody, some people have been coming up to me with great ideas for the future of Redeemer. One of them asked me, and I did ask them if I could share this, but I'm not going to tell you who it was. One of them asked me, hey, are we going to do any sermon series on giving? And I said, I really hadn't even thought of that. I hadn't even thought about it. And then I get to this passage here. I don't know that we'll have to do any sermon series on giving because there's usually something in the text that we're preaching through that talks about our responsibility to do what God wants us to do with the gifts that he freely gives us. Whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our money, they are all gifts of God and he is watching. And you know how we know what's important to us. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? What do you do with your gifts? Are we building things for the glory of God or are we finding little golden calves that end up eating us up? God is watching. God is watching over Egypt. God is watching over Israel. And then God is watching over this big, large group of people and a multitude that is mixed. Let's look at this, verse 37, 38. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Then verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. So first of all, there is a lot of people and God is responding and God is, is revealing the fact that the promises that he made way back in Genesis Even after 430 years of slavery, God made a promise to Abraham that he would look up into the sky and try to number the skies, or number the stars. That's what he was going to do with his people, and that's what he did. 
never failed to keep his promises because our God is a watching God. But there's something even bigger than this. Wasn't only watching over Abraham and his descendants, he was watching over people like me and you, non-Hebrews. There was a mixed multitude that went with them. These are non-Hebrews that God frees as well. The Israelites weren't the only ones delivered in the midst of the plagues and the signs and the wonders. Anyone who sees the, the God who is at work in watching them, he will deliver them. I wanted to make this point earlier, but it's best to say it now. We, we talk about God not being partial, or the Bible talks about God not being a respecter of persons. It, it doesn't mean that he, he doesn't uh, look down on humanity created in the image of God and value everybody. What it means when we say that God is not a respecter of persons, it means this. This is really important. He's not looking for rich people. He's not looking for poor people. He's not looking for the beautiful people, the smart people, the cool people. He's not looking for the people that really tried hard. He's not looking for the people that, that, that aren't trying at all. He is looking for those who have eyes to see and ears to see, hear, for those who look in faith to a God who watches over them. He was looking for those who wanted to be spared from death, who knew that without God providing a substitute, they really wouldn't experience life like they thought they would. To conclude, it was a night of watching, verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. You know, if you were to boil down or, or summarize Matt's charge to the DeBartolome family, it's to keep watch on the God that is watching them as they raise their children, as they live their lives. Because God is watching over us we should not just have a day of watching, not just this day, but this is a special day of watching for us, but a life of watching and waiting. We're not to watch for God to make sure he's okay. He doesn't need our help. Our watching is trusting and waiting and looking to him. And our watching, I will acknowledge, is hard because we do not know exactly what he's going to do. And we don't know exactly where we're going to go. But we have to remember that the God who is watching over us, we can trust totally with whatever is going on in our lives. I hope you have times of struggle. I pray for particular people and wonder why God is not working in their lives and I just end up saying, God, I'm going to watch you work because you are my only hope. That's the way it is for all of us. The only hope we have is a God that is watching over us. And even when he seems 
to do things the hard way, to thrust them out of Egypt. God is doing it for their good and we have to trust him and we have to watch him and we have to wait for him because he's never failed in keeping his promises because he's always watching for us. And as he watches out for us, would we be a people who not only watch once in a while for God to work, would our lives be marked by watching this God who loves his people, who loves the world. Even as Second Chronicles says, his eyes go to and fro throughout the land, seeking those whose heart is humble and blameless. Would we be that people? In Jesus' name, let's pray.